In this episode of The Value Podcast, Hakeem interviews Lori Lucine, a top cannabis attorney in Massachusetts and teacher of marijuana law at Suffolk Law School in downtown Boston. Listen as Lori tells what it was like growing up in Haiti and being in America alone at a young age. They also expand on topics such as African-American representation in the cannabis space and going deep into consciousness and understanding the universe around us. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Perspective Podcast. I'm here with my esteemed guest, Mrs. Lori Lucien, uh, professor at the Suffolk Law School. Lori, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. That's awesome. <laughs> Can't complain. That's amazing. So me and Lori connected a few months ago. Um, Lori's a Haitian immigrant. She came here at age 15. Correct. Um, and now is really building her cannabis law business and teaching marijuana law at Suffolk Law School. To kind of, we're gonna bring it back a little bit because you know this show is perspective. So I'm trying to provide a lot of perspective to a lot of different people who don't know what it's like coming from another country and things like that. So before we kind of get into it, can you just tell us a little bit about just you growing up in Petionville, Haiti? What was that like? Um, growing up in Pittsburgh was a pretty unique experience because I got to, I, I grew up pretty privileged, which is not what people think of when they think about Haiti and how I was raised. And that my upbringing was juxtaposed right next to extreme poverty. So I got to see both sides of it, but really not experience it. Um, but I really didn't get to see the depth of the poverty of Haiti until one of our um, high school teachers told us that we were being too entitled. Well, I wouldn't say us, I just got lumped into it, but <laughs> the class. And so she's like, you guys have to go see what's really out there in Haiti. So she took us on a field trip to Cite Soleil. And Cite Soleil is one of the poorest regions in Haiti. And we were just shocked. Like, can you imagine living in Haiti and not even knowing that those places existed because your parents, and just not because of, of any reason besides your own safety, but shielded you from those types of places and so we, I was just shocked. How long did that, how, you said that was high school, so mm-hmm. how old were you when that, when that, when you finally went down there? I was maybe 14 or 13. So 13 years, you honestly, you thought you were living in... Right, I, I mean I saw poverty, you know, so I was like that's, that's, I mean I, I was like I don't know what these Americans are talking about, I, mean, I don't see, I don't know what they, because the, the, the poverty that I saw on TV was not what I grew up with. Gotcha. Um, and like, I mean, from just thinking about it from a perspective standpoint, you know, back when you were 14, like that entitlement, like obviously at such a young age, like when you think back, how does that make you feel that you didn't know that that was going on and, and or not be able to do anything about it? So it made me feel as if I was lied to because once you start seeing the effects of the poverty, it asks, you, you ask the questions, how did we get here? And then you start understanding your history. And I went to an American school, and no shade to them, but they didn't do a good job of teaching me my history. So I kind of felt like I had a parallel experience to students here who go to school and they weren't—they're not taught their their, their uh, background. Mm. And so I became illuminated and angry. That's real. Can you actually? I want you to actually expand on that thought a little bit about even the parallel of American right. education system versus the Haitian education system. But like you just said, being lied to. Exactly. In terms of your history, in terms of what's actually going on, what's your thoughts on that? So, 
in Haiti, I thought it was especially damaging. Well, it's damaging everywhere. But it was especially damaging because we had missionaries coming into our country with their own American educational system. And the system itself was, the books themselves are called Paces, and it was low-key racist in itself because they would have cartoon scripts and they would definitely be segregated. Or they'd have the black families doing their thing and the white families doing their thing and they would sometimes meet at church. Mm -hmm. But it was just it was just a system where we they, they, they weren't aware of the idiosyncrasies. This is a school where one of our principals was like, the reason why Haiti is in such a terrible situation is because it's named after Hades. You know, Greek mythology where there's no connection. So you have people going into a country and teaching people things like that. So I was infuriated on many, many levels. And I think that's the reason why I think it's a parallel to here, because you have people who aren't really dictating what the educational system is. And they are forced to go to these schools and be taught education that's not necessarily reflecting of the truth of their history or the richness of it. I mean, starting history at the point where these doctors and these healers and these engineers were taken and stolen from Africa and saying slaves were stolen from Africa, that's even taking control of the narrative by putting boxes of language around it and saying slaves were taken. No, you had creatives, you had mothers, you had these individuals taken. So understanding who we were really gave me the impetus to, to actually take the entitlement that I had and flip it and say, I am entitled to greatness, so nothing will stop me when I come to the U.S. And I've seen what my ancestors have done, I see what you can do, and that's kind of where the little bit of fire that sometimes people feel comes from. It comes mm. from the accomplishments of my ancestors. I love that. And talk about not just necessarily your ancestors, your parents. So growing up, you know, you said there was safety, Put us pretty much a safety net around you until you were 14 when you were exposed. You know, one, what did your parents do, you know, growing up in Haiti? Like, what did you get to observe? And, like, who are your parents? Like, right. talk about them for a second. So, uh, my dad is an engineer. He, um, his job was pretty cool. He helped establish, like, telecommunication infrastructures throughout the country. My mother, um, she was an administrative assistant and then eventually ended up staying home and, um, watching over us, which is actually one of the most, the best gift we've ever received in our lives. And I never realized its value until now as an adult, uh, how powerful what my mom did for us was. Um, so she, she being around was very protective. My dad worked a lot, but I got to see him on TV um, doing press conferences about um, what he was doing for the telecommunication department. They were big on education. They don't believe that a bachelor's degree is sufficient, which is why I went and got a secondary degree. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're a cool people. That's awesome. <laughs> it sounds like it was not a yin and yang, but you know, having your dad out there, ripping and running, making it happen, and your mom was essentially that, that caretaker. I guess this is, for my own curiosity, you know, looking inward to yourself, what would you say some of the qualities that have kind of carried over into yourself like, from that upbringing, from your father's, you know, hard work and doing all that, right. and from your mother's? Um, I definitely learned the art of working extremely hard for my dad. He worked too hard. So I also learned the negative aspect of that, where he missed very, some, you know, special moments in our lives because he was wearing, working so much. So I also have learned to place more emphasis on family 
on things that are not as materialistic. And he was doing that because he had to. Mm -hmm. uh, not because he wanted to miss them. And I understand that as well. But I also am trying to build my life in a way where it's not necessarily that way. But I got the work ethics from him. My mom is literally one of the most caring human beings I've ever known and also extremely intelligent and artistic. She's written books, she um, cooks, she, she's able to design clothing. And what bothers me about my mom is the fact that her accomplishments get overshadowed by my dad's accomplishments. Like, mm. she doesn't really get to shine. And so that's, that's another aspect of that relationship that I, I'm learning too. I'm like, well, how can two people coexist where they both rise at the same time? where one doesn't necessarily have to sacrifice their own in order to make, you know. How do you think that happens? I think it happens um, culturally, where, you know, she was living in Haiti, that's what you do. Absolutely. You, you know, it's the decision, he's, he's, he's the engineer, you had, the, they had children, so it was naturally one of the steps that she, she felt like she had to take um, in order to keep us safe and protected. You know, what, after learning and obviously seeing that from a third party perspective and observing and obviously as your future plays out, I'm sure you're going to learn from that and do something different exactly. so two can rise together. How would you, like, me personally, I'm, I get married next April. How do, how do you do that? Thank you. How do you do that? I think everything's about open communication and understanding where, what people are trying to, to stay. So, for example, a lot of times we get into these relationships and we are carrying baggage from our childhood. Right? You're still mad at your dad for not showing up at your recital and you and the first time somebody misses one thing, they become your father and you and you're and you're going you're replaying that act. So the the key is you first have to go inwards and do the inner work to really deal with some of the traumas and the issues and the hurt that you had so that you can go in with a clean slate. And also be mindful of emotions that come up and try to identify the sources and why they're there as opposed to acting immediately. Mm. So the more space you can create between the, the emotion, the thought, and the action, the more elevated the response can be when you do take action. Mm. So Space between, it's mm -hmm. critical. I like that. And you know, so to so take us back to you know, and like I don't, I don't know. So I'm really curious about when that initial time when, as a family, you guys decided that Lori's moving to America. Oh man, it took two weeks. I wanted to get a full scholarship to to study here, and I went to my principal's office and I asked her, "What are the odds of me getting a scholarship if I stayed here?" She was like, "I can't guarantee anything." So I talked to my parents, I'm like, well, I gotta go to America. That's the only way. And two weeks later, I was here. So my parents wow. had to have tremendous, uh, <laughs> tremendous faith in me and my capacity to really do what I, want, I said I was going to do. Because they were, I grew up extremely sheltered, mm -hmm. like very sheltered. That's so cool. And like, I guess, I mean, talking through that, Scott, like, I mean, first of all, Flying to a brand new country you've yeah. never been to. Well, I, I, I've been, been here, here before. before. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I lived here for one year in '93 okay. during an embargo where my dad thought it was unsafe. That's when I learned English. Then we went back, I think it was '94, '95, and went to and stayed there until. Wow. Actually, I want to go into that for a second. So you said '93 you mm -hmm. came here. What was that like? First time that touching the That was really hard. I mean, cause I was, <laughs> and not speaking yeah, English? I didn't speak English. I was, I was born here because unfortunately my mom had some issues with miscarriages. So she wanted to ensure that she had a, a child and so she came here and had me. But um, it was tough because I remember looking at the faces of the kids not knowing what they were saying. 
And then one time when like I realized I spoke English, it was pretty funny. My cousin was talking, telling a secret to his friend. And then he was like, you can say whatever, Lori won't understand. And I was like, I don't understand what I didn't tell him I understand. <laughs> it was great um, at that point, but it was hard. Because culturally things are different here. Um, Were you in the New England area too? I was in Boston. Okay. Um, and it was cold and <laughs> I just feel like as a kid, I wasn't just—I just wasn't as aware, so I just didn't know what the hell was going on. Uh, seven. Yeah. So you just don't know what's happening. You figure, you're like, where's my dad? Because he was—he um, was—he stayed back in Haiti to work. Mm-hmm. Well, what was that like? Because I don't know what it's like either. From English being your second language, so now all of a sudden learning this new language, right. did it? Did you learn it more because you were almost forcibly immersed? In yeah, it, I was immersed, and it was. I, th- I can't even remember learning English, to be honest. I just remember coming here and my cousins pointing things out, saying table. So I picked up words there. I watched TV. I think mm-hmm. just the vir- virtually being immersed, going to school. Gotcha. Um, and then when you went back to Haiti. We went to American schools. You went to American schools. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So that's why you really try to speak such a yeah. language. That's awesome. Um, so now back to the 15-year-old experience. You show back up. You're back in Boston. You know, what, I, I got, like, genuinely curious of just, what did that just feel like? Just, I mean, obviously, you're ambitious. Right. You're, two weeks ago, you were talking about, I want to get a scholarship. Yeah. Two weeks later, you're on the soil. So what was that like? So, I think, for me, I always knew I would end up coming to the U.S. to, to study. Okay. Um, so, but what I wasn't prepared for was missing my family. Because that was never a concept in the plan. It was like, you go, go to the U.S., you get a scholarship, you work. You, I mean, you go to school, you work. But the concept of like, oh, you might miss your family, that wasn't a thing. Mm. Um, also, I had to live with three boys. Previously, I lived with three girls and one boy, an older cousin. So I'm, it was just a different dynamic. In That's my, real. Yeah, and my um, aunt, her disciplinary practices were a little bit more stern than I'd been used to. So it was a diff, definitely different to adjust. That's interesting. And- you know, finishing out your what, 15, 16, you finished out your senior year of high school. What was that like? Just getting, I mean, being immersed in one, an American classroom, but two, in New England, being an immigrant, almost right. feeling like an outsider. So the thing is, like, feeling like an outsider is not always a bad thing. I felt like I was 15 years old. I was graduating from college. I left my family. Like, I just felt like I could do anything. Mm. And I just, I not felt, I knew that I could do anything. So I really didn't care about what anyone had to say. Because um, I came here on a mission to accomplish something and I did eventually get a scholarship. That's awesome. So, this is honestly, this question just, just came up in my, in my head. Uh, what, honestly, where, where was that ambition almost born from? Like in the sense like, you want to get a scholarship, you want to go to America, you want to make it right. happen. I know I wanted to invest in real estate mainly because I was 13 years old and I, there was this real estate investor from University of Penn. He's telling how, talking about how he owned his own apartment building that he lived in and he rented it out to his classmates and like clicked instantly. Right. I want to do that. Was there a moment way back when that you can think of? Not no, cool. but the thing is like the, the living in Haiti, the times when I lived in Haiti, the complete lack of insecurity and I hate talking about it because I love the country but feeling unsafe all the time I always I was always looking for an exit like a way out and that's why I focus so much on education and so I at first I was like I'm gonna be a doctor 
And that's because that's what my parents told me. I'm like, okay, doctor, that sounds great. Work towards that. And that was like the, the thing I needed to do. That was my focus. Um, do really well in school, get a scholarship, and get out of the and then you'll have safety. That's real. I mean, I actually want to touch in on that a little bit, the cultural, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but the cultural pressures that some people feel like you said when you were younger, right. your parents wanted you to be a doctor, so you were going to yeah. be a doctor. Expand on that a little bit, because I know there's certain cultures, like, I was like when I was a kid, same exact yeah. thing. My parents didn't want me to do it, but my grandpa wanted me to be a doctor. Right. And honestly, the first thing that turned me off of it was he had diabetes, and he asked me to give him a shot, because like, I could be a doctor, right. and I'm getting ready for it. I gave him the shot, and like, his blood and everything, and never wanted to be a doctor. I like, shifted the trajectory of my life. Yeah, you knew. <laughs> I knew, yeah. <laughs> but talk about, because I'm sure you've experienced it with other family members, right. unlike you, who decide to go on your own path, but talk about, its a, I don't know if it's a natural immigrant thing, but just becoming a doctor. I honestly think it is. They have these like things that they, they consider to be successful. Doctor, engineering, nursing, law. I know even me, when I decided to go to law school, my mom's like, you, could, you know you can still be a doctor. I'm like, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, not gonna happen. Um, so they do, because to them, that's the way you make money. Gotcha. And they, what's the highest paying job? I think it's one of the, the highest paying jobs. Those are the highest paying jobs. And I think we need to, first of all, break that, break away from those concepts and start teaching people how to make money from their passions. Because it's a new age. It's even the age of information. People 100%. are literally making money from their bedrooms. 100%. Um, so I think right now the focus, I mean, for me, focus on developing your passion and your talent. And, you know, how and what would you say to that, say, immigrant kid who's got parents who want them to become a doctor, yep. want them to become this, want them to do that? Because obviously it's kind of a twofold issue or situation, like one being is, yeah, I could become a doctor, cool, make a lot of money, and then when I'm 40 years old, I resent my parents the rest right. of my life because I never got to follow my passions. Or it's a level of that's all you've heard and you're almost too insecure to jump into your passions. Right. So what? How do? How would you tell someone to have that conversation, right. or to maybe spend less time around your parents, or maybe not be the a crutch to them in the sense of they pay your bills, right. they do this, they do that. What's your thoughts? On so that? my thoughts are kind of hippie. I'm sorry, I told you I'm a little hippie, but I truly believe that every human being here is divinely guided by their higher self, mm. and you could even think of it as a program that has like look through every algorithm of every potential timeline that could ever exist and will come up with the highest uh, action to your benefit at this moment. Like it computes this. The way that you communicate with that is your feeling. It's your, it's your, your uh, emotional guidance system. Mm -hmm. It will tell you what you want to do and what you don't want to do by how you feel about it. So what we've taught ourselves in society is how to shut that communication down so that we can survive through families, so that we can survive through society, so that we could just fit in. So a lot of times we've blocked off that communication, which is why we're having conversations like, should I be a doctor when you know inside you don't want to do that? Mm. And that is what you need to listen to because that desire to not be a doctor is a computation that was taken by your highest self, by your higher self that told you that would not be the best timeline for you. So you feel resistance when you go towards it. But then when you go and you feel, maybe it's dancing, Whenever you think about dancing, it's less resistance. Well, that's your higher self telling you, 
the most successful life path for you is following dancing. And so I would tell these individuals to have faith in the universe, have faith in themselves, and know that if you are feeling pulled and or called to do something, you are supported. And you just gotta take the next step because that next step is what it's been. They've done the computation. It's been written. It's been written. They know you know the timeline is there, and you can tell where you're on or off by how you feel. And that's that's the thing. I would tell them take some time to connect to you, and then from once you've connected, figure out what the next step is for you. Man, I honestly got the chills from when you said that because like that's exactly how I felt when I decided to walk away from the NFL. Oh, that's awesome. And pursue my own passion. It was like this does not work. Like I am genuinely upset. I am waking up in the morning telling my fiance, like, I do not want to go to work today. Oh, man. Like, I hate this. And, like, man, you just hit the nail yeah. on the head. With but, that. like, those experiences are amazing. So that's why there, there needs to be no judgment in life. Because all that happens is, like, you start moving to, like, poop, you bump into something. Like, shit, I'm depressed. I don't fucking like this. Sorry for cussing. Mm -hmm. I don't like this job. I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> and so we could, we look at that and we judge the situation. That's what creates the stuckness. Because we feel like we can't have, like, this This is what I wanted. But if you see it as a turning stone to what you actually want to do, where you're like, this is resistance, what is the best feeling thing for me right now? And not on a, mm. like, feeling in terms of, like, I got to eat or something. But, like, literally, what do you feel is going to feed your soul right now? You do that. That's real. Somebody, somebody said, I don't, don't want to butcher this quote, but somebody said, the bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. I like that. So That's exactly it. Everything's thing, a pivot. Absolutely. And I think, back to what you just said, judgment stops people from pivoting because it's like, cool, I just started to retire from the NFL. Right. I'm doing real estate. Bam, 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 bam. And then like six months in, I decide, I don't, I don't like real estate. I want to become a weatherman. And people will fail to make that pivot. Yep in fear of judgment because you just declared I'm becoming a real estate investor mm -hmm. and like the fear of judgment of others is the ultimate I feel like just demise right. and can be the potential downfall of society exactly and the fear of judgment comes from what you not understanding the value that you're providing to the world like Fear, judge. I always like Soldier Boy. Judge me. <laughs> That's how, judge me. No, cause it, you can't judge me because I am the entire universe. If you understand that we are a microcosm of the entire universe, that all the components of the universe that is outside of me exist within me, good or bad. So if all of that is within me, that is literally the definition of love. Love is what includes everything. The moment you start excluding, you don't hate, you fear. And so it's mm. about getting people to get to the phase where they can make decisions from a most inclusive point. Because so, like, if you can see everything as yourself, it's not bad or wrong. It just is. And the moment you get used to the isness of things, you can start making those decisions that are higher, not really feel stuck by what people think about you. Pretty much getting quiet in your head. Exactly. And being quiet in your head is not a danger, and dangerous in a good way. Yeah. Type of thing. Um, one thing you mentioned in there was success, and I'm very curious to how you define success. Man, success to me is the point where I have peace within. Like, ultimately. Because if it's something that's outside of that, I will always be chasing it. Mm -hmm. And it'll always be a moving marker. That's real. I mean, honestly, my, same thing. my success is happiness. Yeah. Which is to say, peace yeah. within happiness. Right, because I've been through it all. I've been privileged, I've, I've been 
I've had no, no, you know, I've, I've been broke. I've been everything on the scale. And I realized that consistently, it doesn't really matter. Be the, the, what matters is those times where I felt at peace and fulfilled. Those times where I was around loved ones. So if I can maintain my system where I have a bunch of people around me who love me and I feel enriched by that and I'm at peace with it, that's all I need. It doesn't matter where I'm doing it. Now obviously, Big Mama would like to do it you know, in a big bed that's plushed, you know. <laughs> okay, who, who, who doesn't like nice things? But nice things don't motivate me. Mm. What motivates you? Honestly, what motivates me is, is it's like feelings. I, I operate on feelings and like I love connecting with somebody and like having the, they're called fifth dimensional feelings. Mm -hmm. Like you feel connection, you feel oneness and unity. Like that's what I'm addicted to, to be honest. I feel like everything else is subpar once you've had any an experience like that. Man, that is real. That's super real. Now let's I mean we just went we just went to an amazing place. We right there. Cosmic. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Um, I could geek out on that all day. Um, so talk to us then now about you're sixteen years old now. Boom. And you're a freshman at UMass Amherst. They shouldn't have let me do that. <laughs> It was Talk called ZooMass. I was gonna say, that was it. that's what I heard of. It's called the ZooMass. Let me tell you right? something. I went into, I went to UMass. I went, I was in a very Christian school, and so that for like my entire middle school and, and up until my senior year. So I went there. I was like, you know what? I'm, not, I'm just gonna study and read the Bible. That's all I'm gonna do. Oh, when you go to, when you go yeah, to ZooMass. Yeah, that was my plan. <laughs> Six hours later, I'm like on a handstand, like this keg. I was, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I haven't cracked the Bible since. It just that's not what's gonna happen to you if you go to your mass Amherst, but perhaps if you go at 16 after being sheltered, you learn it's one a thing or two. But what I learned from that experience was going out and having fun was the most important part of college because I made so many connections mm. that I personally am building off of what still. Like I have I went I walked into a job and one of the people there went to UMass Amherst and by virtue of us going in the same circles I got the job. I mean I was qualified arguably but that's amazing. I think at the, you know, so I always tell students, yeah, good grades are good, it's great, but really you need to be out there and make friends. Because like, those relationships, it's really what's going to sustain you. I got the chills again. <laughs> I literally was telling someone like two or three days ago, the ROI, the return on investment of college, is the relationship. That's it. A hundred and fifty percent. Right. Actually, I want to, I want you, as a professor, and as someone who agrees with me with that, what is your thought on, in today's world, the value of a college degree and where it's going as the future kind of plays out? Right, so I think people need to think about college like they would any business decision. Um, how does it fit in your plan? I think right now college before was a place where you go to figure out what you wanted to do, who you are as a person, mm -hmm. And it's getting too costly to, to use it for that purpose solely. Mm. I think that if that's what you want to do, take some time work. Luckily, we live in a time where you could Uber, you could, I know the laws for Airbnb are changing here, but there's so many other things that you could do to make money. Take that time to really go within and figure it out before you make an investment and not really know what you want to do um, at all. Now, the other alternative is if you are really good at networking, you can go to a school where you know there are a lot of people and you can shake enough hands so by the time you're out of there, you have a business idea, you, you have partners and people ready to, to do it. So I guess I didn't give you a definite answer, mm -hmm. which is something that I like to not do. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um, the value of the college degree is up to you. It's how you place it within your business plan. To some, it may I don't go to college. To others, you might need it to get to the next step, but you really got to figure that out before you go. That's I think it's really ridiculous to pay $70,000 a year to become um, a, a teacher that pays $30,000 a year. The reason I use $70,000 is because my sister's school is $70,000, but then there are schools like Boston University that are cheaper. So you also have to think about the cheapest way to get what you want. Do you really need to go to Holy Cross if you know that the cost, like you're not gonna make enough money to give you the life that you want? Mm. You can go to, I don't remember, I don't even know how much UMass Amherst costs now, UMass Amherst, UMass Boston, or Salem State, where you can get the same kind of jobs but just not have the, the brand. Mm, that's real. And like something I really wanna, want you to expand your thoughts on. When you hear the when you hear the phrase self-awareness, what comes to mind? Self-awareness is being mindful of all aspects of yourself. Um, so I used to teach martial arts, okay. and one of the things we first teach the students is to stand with your feet together. You don't know how many times I'll tell somebody feet together, and the feet will be apart even this much, and they'll they'll say no, my feet are together. So they don't even have a basic of awareness of what's happening with their bodies. So self self-awareness is knowing. First and foremost, what's going on with your body, but internally, emotionally, what's happening? When something occurs and you get triggered or you feel something, do you know why you feel that way? Or are you just going off and moving? Because that's what determines whether you're acting from just your animalistic, primitive senses or from your higher faculties. Mm. It's able to be triggered and stopping and saying, okay, ooh, I feel anger. That's interesting. What caused that? Where did it come from? How does it feel within my body? Because anger, you feel it different places. Mm -hmm. Some people feeling your chest okay oh that's interesting okay what am i what led there so you go mentally what led me there well you, it might be something simple somebody might have cut you off in traffic but why does that make you angry then you start feeling oh maybe it's control or it might be other things mm -hmm. like oh my father never lived yeah it might be some <laughs> random thing but you got to get to the root of it and so that it could be uh, uh, destroyed it's like the hydra i think it was the hydra where hercules uh, it might have been Hercules went down and realized that the only way it could destroy it is by facing it and... Chopping the head off? Um, no, yeah, I think it, no, it, it would, every time it chopped the head off, it would create more heads. Okay. So what it had to do is they had to go on Earth and it put it into the light. And that's mm. what, so that's, that's symbol, uh, uh, like uh, an example of us having to go in and take out what's in the shadows. Gotcha. You can't just Reveal leave it, it in the subconscious. Once you expose it to the light of consciousness, like your awareness, then you know it. And then I can feel like, whenever I feel that tightness, I'm like, oh, that's just anger. All oh, that anger just, it usually comes as a trigger from this. So now I don't have to spew the effects of like the way I've been treated on every new person I meet. Mm, which a lot of people do. Yeah, which is, it's a little sad, but ultimately everybody I believe is trying to get love the best way they know how because they're too afraid to ask it flat out. Do you know how many people out here just want a hug? <laughs> and they're just angry and tight. Yay. Yay, yay. No, but it's true, you know? People, are just, they're, they don't know how to ask for it. They don't know how to ask for the intimacy they lack. They, sometimes they just want to talk to somebody, but then they, they can't ask for it. So they're like, oh, let's go play video games. And <laughs> so it's, You just hit a nail right, right? there. <laughs> right, I feel that a lot of men do that. They'll have something that they want to talk about. But then they don't, they can't come out and say it. So they'll plan an activity, like let's go play a video game, or let's. But it, they won't talk about the thing directly. Sometimes we have to stop and realize that we are emotional, mental, physical beings, and we can't ignore the emotion 
an emotional aspect of, a, of, a, of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if something does come out and you feel like, man, I really need a hug. Well, find somebody to give you a hug. I'm pretty sure you can find someone if you're just willing to be more vulnerable and tell people what's happening with mm. you. I feel like, at least for, I think humility is something in society that is, there's a lack of yeah. it. What's your, what's your opinion and thoughts on, honestly, just that word humility? Because I feel like a lot, honestly, like you said, vulner, I think yeah. vulnerability and humility are kind of. It's kind of funny because people always tell me that I'm not humble. And I looked up the definition and I'm not humble. Because when you're talking about humility, it's really describing yourself to be less than you are. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. So if I believe that I do great, if I do dope shit, I do dope shit. That's a fact. But I, I think the concept of humility that happens is when people feel like they're entitled to receive something just because they do these uh, these things. Like, gotcha. I don't, you don't, I like don't treat me any differently because I've accomplished some things. Respect me, I will respect you as well. But um, it's the entitlement that comes with these things. I think uh, one, one thing I heard from someone that I really resonated with is if you have to outwardly tell someone you're humble, you're not humble. Exactly. <laughs> on, exactly. Top, on top of everything else. I tell everybody I'm not humble. I will not tell you that I'm less than I am. Ever. That's a lie. And your brain doesn't like you telling lies. That's real. I, I, <laughs> I think I might view humility almost in just a little bit different of yeah. a way in the sense of almost like embracing your elves. Yeah. Like, oh, hell yeah. For like my first apartment building I bought, I did the stupidest things as it pertained to property management. And when I'm talking in front of a class of real estate investors, you know, they think you're the successful investor. I'm like, no, I did X, Y, and Z. Right. I did this wrong, this wrong, that wrong. And like, I don't know. Humility. I think, yeah, I think it's, what you're talking about is like being, like speaking your truth. Exactly. And I truly, feel, I, I believe in courage. You mm. cannot have courage without truth, right? Mm. So if you don't know your own truth, what, what are you being courageous about? You're, you're just acting out of fear. Like, true courage comes from knowing and then taking action. Um, so in terms of, like, humility and being, I, I believe in courage. So I would definitely believe, like, you have to speak up and say what, That's real. what your truth is. So if I take L's, of course. Of course I take L's, but <laughs> the L's make my successes better. Like, I, mm. I've, taken, I've taken some L's. <laughs> <laughs> What's your, what's your, so let's, let's see, what's your favorite out that you bounced back from and it led to some greatness? Oh man, yeah, you know, honestly, my greatest L was like, I took, I was, I like, allowed a friendship, I took, we, there was a friendship that I was forming with a client of mine and it, I acted as if the friendship was further along than it was and was more expressive about some of the things I was doing and it completely used everything I said against me and it like, like, you mm. know, snowballed into bigger effects. And so that was a big L that taught me glory. Cannot tell everybody your business is because you like them. <laughs> so that was a major one, uh, one big one. Another big L that we did was we were just so desperate to find a property and we finally yeah, got a property I and think, we just I were like, I don't care how much it costs. We're gonna, be we're gonna allow them to pressure us into this deal, not realizing that we had all the power. Like we, mm. we didn't, I didn't take the time to really sit, figure out what I was bringing to the table. Leverage what they were. Leverage is everything, and leverage comes from knowledge. See, truth, courage, <laughs> it all ties in. And so that L was a major one. We actually, I think it was miraculous how we got out of that deal. <laughs> like, straight up miraculous. We had this major guy in the industry who's like been in banking and done all these things. He called us and talked to us for like three hours and literally taught us how to negotiate. Like, wow. So I, the way I saw it is if we had lost, I think we we're gonna lose like 20K. If we lost 20K, it would have been like, just to sit down and talk to this man, it would have been worth it. Like, 
Because my I, after that talk, that meeting, our whole vibe changed. Like I just came out like, yo, you can't. <laughs> I don't walk. I just. <laughs> That's real. That's super real. Um, before we kind of wrap it up, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna still take it back to UMass Amherst. So you finished up there. I did. Finished up. Now we got young Lori Lucien in the real world. In the United States. In the U.S. <laughs> what was that like, and what were some of the next kind of steps you take that you took to kind of get you where you are today? Right. So I think I ended up where I'm at by complete accident. Mm. So I was working. I was doing cancer research, and I hated it. Um, I did not want to be a scientist, and I also was trying to figure out what my next steps are. Because being Haitian, I can't just sit in with my bachelor's degree. I got to go find my other degree. So <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Couldn't be a doctor, did not want to have to show up a place every day and lives depended on it. Mm. And I was like, nah, too much. So I couldn't do the science thing. And so my sister, so I was walking home from, from work one day and I got hit by a car and I was out for like six months. Mm. That was like the worst, best thing that's ever happened to me. Cause like from that point, I realized that I need to stop trying to even think about medical school. This job is not for me. Let's figure out what else to do. I spoke to my sister and she was like, you know, you can go to law school and become a patent attorney. And she was like, you can make decent money doing that. I'm like, what does it take to be a lawyer? And she told me, and I'm like, I feel like I can do that. Mm. And after that, everything came so easy. I got free books to study. Like my tests were, were like free. It was mm. just as if like the universe was pushing me into this direction. And I ended up getting a scholarship to Suffolk. That's what, that's one thing. I'm like, if I get a scholarship and it's like at least half, I'm, I'm going. So that ended up happening like around my birthday. And so I'm like, that I'm going to law school. <laughs> That's real. And the universe like, conspires. Yeah, I thought I was going to be an IP. Uh, got a job doing healthcare. Did not love it. And then realized that I could transfer into marijuana. And now I'm here. And I, now it makes sense. It was like everything. You know, people tell those stories when they're getting married. It's like everything I've ever done led me to you. That's how I feel about marijuana. That's real. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. Talk, talk to us then, honestly, about the cannabis industry. Yeah. And what your thoughts are on the current state of it as it relates to entrepreneurship and as it relates to what you do every day. Right. I think um, the cannabis industry provides us a tremendous opportunity to really break some of the financial. Some of the financial barriers that have been impeding people of color, people from low-income communities from advancing, I think it creates, it's like the best opportunity since the dot-com era. And so I, I feel like I'm extremely excited to be part of this process because my consulting company, we developed it for the sole purpose of trying to ensure that people from those backgrounds have access. And in fact, we were chosen by the state to be one of the vendors providing services to social equity uh, applicants. So my vision of the future is that I hope that I can be successful in my hope of helping to diversify the industry, but more so that everybody else who's trying to do the same uh, in the industry can do it too. I think that um, I think that it's we've, we're creating these spaces and these opportunities for individuals, and the barriers are tremendous. And I think we need to think about some more ways, and we need more people on the private side um, jumping in to, to develop creative solutions to some of these barriers. We know people don't have access to real estate. We know banking is an issue. But we also know that we, we know people with properties. We know people with money. 
and we also know the wrongs that have been done in the past. Mm -hmm. So with that, why why do we have to wait for the government is my question. Why can't we start doing things on our own or even work synergistically with the government to help ensure that we repair the injustices that were done in the past? That's real. And to kind of, before I really wrap it up, um, I, I really want to actually expand on what we kind of talked about um, before the interview is your thoughts on the current state of Haiti and you know where it is now, you know some of the issues that are going on today, and how there can be a solution. Right. So I mean the situation is kind of dire in Haiti right now with insecurity. There's a huge gas shortage, so the country basically gridlock. No gas, no electricity, diminished communication. It's basically ripe for a very devastating occurrence, right? Absolutely. Kind of like a purge. It's kind of scary to think about, but if you, if the, the place is gridlocked, no food, no electricity, lack of resources breeds, causes people to tap into survival mode. You can't even blame people at that point, mm. right? What would you do to feed your kids? Ultimately, that's the point where we're bringing people to, where they're going to have to ask those questions. Not that they haven't already been asking them. Like many, that's why people are so angry and where there's this revolt. I think what we need to do is re-empower people. The, the Haitian people need to start producing their, their food again. There's no reason why we're importing food. We need to, um, we have, our, our seas are ripe with fish. We can reinstitute our fishing um, mm. industry so we can feed our people. Um, ultimately, if people are hungry, people don't have places to eat or sleep, you can't talk to them about anything else because that's ultimately what they have to, what we have to provide. So I think one of the biggest things we need to do is figure out how to feed um, the individual, but also energy. How do we fight the energy issues that are happening in the country where they're cutting down trees and cutting down the trees causes the land to be infertile and arid and it causes mudslides. There are so there, I, I guess this is all over the place because it is- Multifaceted, It's multifaceted and there's no one solution. There's so many pieces that are moving, but I think if we can get energy, obviously down and get people not relying on any external sources for food and go back to producing our own food, go back to producing our own clothes. That's the way that we can get ourselves out of this issue. Empower yourself. Empower yourself, yeah. That's real. And lastly, to kind of close out the interview, my final question for you is, what does the word perspective mean to you? Man, perspective is expression and it's all the same thing. I think of perspective as like, Every single timeline, possibility that could ever exist in the universe it can be seen as a perspective. And I think that all perspectives have their place in this, in, in this universe. I may not have to agree with it, but I do have, the way I think about perspective is like, hmm, that's interesting, <laughs> right? It's interesting that you see life that way. And I think we should approach perspectives as that. Like, hmm, it's interesting that you see life that way. But oftentimes I think people um, are so attached to their perspectives as it, it's part of them that if you kind of come against it, they feel as if you're destroying who they are. But no, it's just mm. it's just a perspective that you have on gotcha. the subject matter. That makes sense. Yeah. As soon as you said that, it made me go to a place of thinking like, yes, people walk around holding their total yeah. lump sum of their life experiences. And if you say anything is wrong with that, it's Yeah, exactly. But it's just a perspective that's just, I think about everything is happening in the in consciousness. So if you can think about this consciousness just thinking, everything is a thought, right? Mm. If everything is a thought, every thought is just a perception of you and things. And so it doesn't matter how vile your thought is, that's just a perception that exists in the consciousness of all of creation. 
so we can work as a society to figure out how we created this being because it's the collective consciousness that creates everything we see do you see what i mean 100 percent. and so the moment we start saying you feel this way this is your this is only you that's how we can't fix it because we're not seeing how we are contributing to it as well does that make sense oh, i'm so that's there why, with you that's why all perspectives matter let's just view it as mm, yo do you think that way man that's crazy i wonder how i'm similar or dissimilar and i also wonder like how i could have ended up like you like we like if i was given the same genetic background same environment same almost everything is everybody would i be so different and i ask that question all the time but i don't think so yeah i don't think cause i don't I think, think so because i don't because like people view i think life decisions as almost look back and regret as oh if i decided to you know not go to umass or yeah. stay in haiti or not do that or stay in the nfl and things like that i feel like we attach ourselves right. to the regret of that decision yeah, yeah. like i don't know what happened blah, 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 blah. i don't know what would have happened and i think like you have to realize that that one like you said the universe that wasn't, that wasn't, supposed, that to wasn't supposed to happen and two you don't go to you don't go to umass you die back in haiti i don't go to the i stay in the nfl i break my neck right time I play. I'm like, right just be grateful you have to again we're always being led there's I, people don't like when I say this, but I do not believe in accidents or coincidences. I think that everything is like this real computation that's being done by our higher selves, and we get downloaded with the information through our guidance system, and we move that way. So no matter what's happening, there is a higher result, a higher positive thing that can come out of it. And I think, you know, that's also a concept that helps me when I'm feeling low, where no matter how dire things may appear, this is just a step in, like, that's a pivot. And when I'm pivoting it, it's uncomfortable. It's and it's friction okay. during pivot. It's pivots. friction. It's 100%. friction. It's uncomfortable, but it's going to lead me to a higher state of being. I know it. That's real. You fail forward is what they say. That is real. Lori, thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. Appreciate thank you. Thank you. Boom.